I know, I know. You're asking for a friend. How does my friend deal with the doubts he's having about God and about faith? For a little while, I'm going to invite you into this messy world of pain and doubt that I live in every day. For a little while, we'll have some fun. We're going to talk about some really hard stuff. We'll laugh a little bit. And then we'll learn the key thing necessary to stabilize my faith when I'm having doubts. When you leave, I hope you'll be a better doubter. Although we're going to step into these murky waters of doubt and difficulty, uh, we all are going to find ourselves there at one point or another. Uh, I want to make it less messy for you. I hope by the time we're done, I'll show you a way out of the messy that everyone can understand. It's easy to have faith when life is good. I actually had uh, two patients, a husband and wife, that pulled this joke on me. I went to see a patient named Clarence, and he said, Chaplain, I couldn't wait till you came back around to see me. Uh, God has been so good to me. Uh, you know, at my age, I have to get up a lot to go to the bathroom. And so when I get up and go to the bathroom, God turns on the light for me. And he said, I go ahead and do what I need to do and turn around. And when I leave, he turns off the light for me. And I turned to his wife, Ethel, and I said, what in the world is Clarence talking about? And she said, that just means Clarence is peeing in the refrigerator again. That's <laughs> right. It's easy to have faith when life is good. Life was good for Clarence. But then something happens. Something always happens. In my world, people face real life every day. Crying, the grieving spouse shouted, I hate this. I hate what people are telling me. This didn't happen for a reason. God didn't have a plan in this. And thinking about him in heaven doesn't help me. I want him here with me now. And after some crying and some deep breaths, she said very softly, I don't know what I believe anymore, if anything at all. Why didn't God help me? I know he could, or at least I thought he could. What is it that creates doubt for you? Maybe it's like these examples, kind of an unexpected and an unwanted medical diagnosis for you or someone close to you or the death of someone you love. Maybe uh, it's for you in the natural realm. Some storm or tornado has punched you in the gut and just left you with all kind of doubts. Maybe for some of you, it's an economic downturn that's kind of taken your breath away, the loss of a job or being downsized. Uh, maybe you're drowning in doubt because of someone invoking pain on you, like through a divorce or some sort of abuse committed against you or a crime. We long to be people of faith, but when we get pain that we can't explain that overwhelms us, we get overcome with doubt. It's hard to believe when our belief doesn't keep us from sinking. Like feet that are desperately searching for footing in a strong current, doubt kind of leaves us uh, clawing and grabbing, looking for something to hold on to. Even if that something is not strong or reliable, we'll hang on to a lie even if we have to close our eyes to do it. I can remember as a boy, I had this unflinching trust in the goodness and the existence of God. I would pray these huge prayers and I just believe that God would answer them. I thought because of my faith in God, nothing could go wrong. And then as an adult, life happened. 
real life, hard life. My dreams of happily ever after ended in divorce. One career failed, and I had to start another. I thought my life was over. It, it just exploded. It was the worst thing that could happen to me, and doubts came. Here I was, a 40-year-old man, learning to live with the shrapnel of an exploded life. I had a faith, and I had to learn to live with a thought life that seemed to betray me. I wanted to feel confident, uh, but I had a whole lot more questions than I had answers. Can you relate to any of this? I didn't share my story so you would uh, feel sorry for me or so we could have a long conversation about how hard life is. I shared it because I, I want to just identify that we all have issues that have interrupted and interfered with the life that we dream of that leave us with doubts. You see, the big question is not will we have doubt, is how can we prevent doubt from ravaging our faith? Even though doubt is common, it doesn't mean that it's totally benign. If we allow it to go untreated, then it can cause real difficulties in our life. The epistle of Jude uh, kind of assumes that doubt will be commonplace for Christ's followers. Here's what uh, Jude said. Be merciful to those who doubt. Uh, he says, approach them in the gentlest manner. Uh, treat them with kindness and love. The New Testament makes it clear we're to love everybody always. And then Jude kind of adds, especially love those who creep you out with their doubt. Uh, you'll know you're growing in your faith uh, if you can love those who have doubts. So what is doubt? Let's just take a breath and define it. Uh, doubt, by definition, is an uncertainty of belief. It's deliberately uh, suspending judgment. It's a lack of confidence. It's a distrust. You can be a genuine believer with a strong faith and still have doubts. Being authentic, being real, removing your mask, it means acknowledging that I don't have everything figured out. Now, what about my friend's questions, Jody? Well, when God designed this magnificent creation that he called man and woman, God made a very strategic choice. It was unacceptable to him to uh, make this remarkable creation like a puppet on a string that just moved and came to life with the tug of a puppet master. Instead, he made this extravagant creation with a keen mind, a self-will, he allows this elaborate creation, this complex being, uh, to gather data, to experience emotions, to draw conclusions, uh, to make decisions, and to ask questions. So let's talk about those questions for just a minute. First, questions don't condemn you. Your doubts... Don't compromise God's reality or his love. You don't possess enough power uh, to change or to compromise God's reality or make that any smaller. Giving voice to your questions is not apostasy. It's just honesty. God isn't surprised that we want more clarity. He just hopes we won't get stuck waiting for it. There's a great example of a guy in the New Testament that is just full of doubts. 
It's in Luke chapter 7. The character that we're going to look at is uh, John the Baptist. He finds himself in prison. He's in a lot of pain. And doubts are surfacing in his life. Follow the story with me. Luke 7, verse 18 and following. The disciples of John the Baptist told John about everything Jesus was doing. So John called for two of his disciples, and he sent them to the Lord to ask him, Are you the Messiah we've been expecting, or should we keep looking for someone else? This is John the Baptist, gang. Uh, This is this rock-solid guy who actually baptized Jesus Christ. He's the one who once pointed to Jesus, and in John 1.34, he said, I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. Now, he's in this Alcatraz-like prison. He's in pain. He's getting overwhelmed. He can't find his footing, and his doubts are creeping up. He's uncertain. Is Jesus the Messiah? Or not. So he dispatches a couple of his buddies to go find out more information. So how does Jesus react to him? Uh, this is what happens. Jesus answered him in Luke 7, 22. Then he told John's disciples, Go back to John and tell him what you have seen and heard. The blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. Instead of being disappointed in or shaming John, Jesus sends a message through John's friends. And make mental note here of the role that friends play in this scenario. Uh, And he says, go and inform John of these things that you've seen with your very own eyes. That'll bolster John's faith. How does this affect Jesus' ongoing opinion of John? Uh, What Jesus says in Luke 7, 28 is very interesting. Here's what he says. Jesus says, I tell you, among those born of women, that's pretty much everybody, right? Uh, Among those born of women, there's no one greater than John. Uh, There was this uh, labor waiting room in a hospital uh, with uh, men, full of men whose wives were in complicated labor situations. Arian comes to the door and says, congratulations, Mr. Jones. You're the father of twins. Wow, I'm excited. I'm thrilled. I wonder if it has anything to do with the fact that I work at the Double Mint Chewing Gum Company. Uh, About an hour later, the the nurse comes in and says, Congratulations, Mr. Smith. You're the uh, proud father of triplets. Wow, I'm excited. Coincidentally, I work for the 3M Company. About that time, a man gets up and he starts to leave, but he says to a buddy next to him, I think I need a breath of fresh air. I work for 7-Up. So during his uh, bout of doubt, Jesus gives John this ultimate compliment. There's no one who is born who is greater than John. During your doubts, during your concerns, your questions, God will not reject you or turn his back on you either. Now, second, questions are a springboard. They're not a destination. They're a springboard, not a destination. We all have doubts. If you don't believe it, friends, you just need to get out more, right? Uh, Although it's common, don't let questions become kind of a comfortable, self-protective prison that just walls you in. Let your doubts push you to study, to pray, to explore, to ask questions, to listen, to learn. 
Many people respond to their doubts by withdrawing, by isolating, by numbing out the pain with the excessive use of some substance or behavior. We heard a great story just a few months ago about that. Doubts are a terrible thing to waste. Make good use of your doubts. Let your doubts stimulate your curiosity about everything. You'll have to go looking for answers when you have doubts. You'll have to do some digging. You'll have to do some exploring. Answers aren't just lying around on the surface. Uh, You'll have to put some work in to find some answers. But let it be a springboard. Third, questions don't mean your faith is weak. On the contrary, it means you're thinking, you're growing. Uh, An untried faith is a weak faith. A faith with questions, it it means it matters to you. Doubt's kind of like an immunization. Uh, In my world, healthcare professionals, uh, they will inject a small amount of disease uh, in you to help your body uh, fight off a future disease. That small amount of disease builds up antibodies, and that makes you stronger and healthier in the long run. Very similar with doubt. Uh, When you're infected with a little bit of doubt and you seek out answers, you work hard to find them, uh, you wrestle through them, then you emerge with a stronger faith. Okay, let's get on the solution side of this issue. I knew months ago when I started processing this topic that this is where we needed to end up. Here's where we need to really spend our time. Uh, We need to know how to stabilize our faith when doubts come. So what does my friend do about his doubts? Now, I believe that I know the number one factor to maintain a stable faith. It's not obvious to everyone. I did some crowdsourcing, asked about 40 of my friends, what do you think is the number one way to stabilize your faith? Well, some kind of went through a litany of uh, things that they believe and things of their theology and various characteristics of God. Some told me they kind of double down on their disciplines when they have doubt. They read their Bible more. They pray more. Some said, I just trust God. I just surrender. One guy said, I make a list of ways he's helped me in the past, and, and that helps me to get perspective on my doubts. All those are important. I think the most effective way to make those things even more effective is to have this number one thing in place. The story in Luke 7 gave us the clue. The number one predictor of stability when you doubt is a vital core-to-core dynamic relationships, plural. The number one predictor of stability when you doubt your faith is vital, core-to-core, dynamic relationships. It's the most obvious, unobvious thing in the world. As soon as you hear it explained, you're going to agree. You know, relationships, Jody, they have been, they are, they will be the key to my faith. People provide fuel. I call it the proximity principle. Uh, Being in right relationships equals stability. Right relationships equals stability. It's not what you know, it's who you know. Now, I'm referring here to vertical and horizontal relationships. Vertically, a very real God desires to be in relationship with you and walk with you through the ups and downs and difficulties of of, of life. You can be rightly related to God by placing your faith in Jesus Christ alone as your Savior and Lord and accepting his gift of eternal life. 
once this vertical relationship, this life-altering, paradigm-shifting relationship is secure, then horizontally position yourself strategically around the right people. This could be friends, it could be family. Who you hang out with, who you're close to, who you choose to be around, who you allow to speak into your life becomes vital. When doubts cause you to feel lost or alone or like you don't belong, to remain stable, move toward voices that you can trust. How much thought have you given uh, to the people you're hanging out with? It's the number one predictor of a stable faith. I can trace my spiritual growth and development through people. Likely you could too. For a second, let your mind go back. Look in the rearview mirror of your life and uh, just identify some people who have been very key in your growth and development. They've influenced you and helped you. See if some of these principles from Solomon in Proverbs uh, don't underscore this proximity principle. And you can see them in these people that you're thinking about. Proverbs 13:20 says, Walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. Had wise people speaking into you? Uh, you got in trouble when you followed some fools, likely. Proverbs 17, 17 says, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. When you were going through tough times, there was one with you, right? Proverbs 18, 24, One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And then in Proverbs 27, 17, Solomon says, His iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Connection is why we are here. Connection gives purpose and meaning to our lives. It's how we are wired, just neurobiologically, by our Creator. It's people you're in proximity to that will determine the direction and the quality of your life. Now, if relationships are the number one predictor of stability, then what is the number one predictor of a deep, vital, core-to-core relationship? One that's really meaningful. It's vulnerability. That's what distinguishes a relationship from a, a mere acquaintance to an intimate, deep relationship. When we allow ourselves to be really seen, when we're real and vulnerable, when we quit hiding behind lies and laughter, when we remove our mask, relationships can flourish. When this was first suggested to me, my response was, heck no. I have no interest in getting vulnerable. I had this weird idea that if anybody really knew me, they wouldn't want to have anything to do with me. And these voices in my life convinced me I would stay stuck right there in my doubts if I didn't get some help. So I put together a combination of some amateur voices, uh, some peers, as well as some professional voices, a counselor. They combined to have a tremendous impact on my life. The healing began. It was a two-year street fight for me. My counselor and friends would push and I would push back. I lost that fight, but I, I won my life back. Healing was a lot like uh, picking a lock. <laughs> One of my ambitions this year is to learn how to pick a lock. So I went on eBay and I bought this lock pick set. It's about as close to cool as I'm ever going to get. It has this really nice little black pouch with all these lock picking tools in it. But the real magic of the kit was this lock that's transparent. Once I could see inside that lock at the springs and cylinders and mechanisms, uh, it was much easier for me to learn how to pick the lock when I could see what I was doing. 
Now, that's what these voices did in my life. They enabled me to see inside. I could pick the lock of all these things that had been tripping me up because they made it clear enough for me to see. Once I could see what was happening on the inside, then it made sense. Next year, my ambition is to hotwire a car. So if you see a bright red Lamborghini in the parking lot, you know I made it. <laughs> Relationships are the most effective way to stabilize your faith. Science is observing the same spiritual principle. There's a social psychologist, Dr. David McClellan of Harvard, that did a deep dive into relationships. Here is his conclusion. The people you habitually associate with determine as much as 95% of your success or failure in life. Now, that took my breath away when I read that. The people you habitually associate with determine as much as 95% of your success or failure in life. I refer to it as kind of a Fab Five principle. We are the average of the five people we spend the most time with. Could be three, could be seven. I rounded it off to five. Uh, that Fab Five becomes your life team, your advisory board. They fuel you. You have to spend quality and quantity time with them. That's why it has to be small. Uh, but they shape who you are. Eventually, you begin to think like they think and behave like they behave. The right people decreases doubts leads to a stable faith. The wrong people increase doubts, weaken your faith. The absence of right relationships is a recipe for misery and ruin. And with any good advice, it's only as good as the action that you take on it. So let me give you a real practical action step. At Whitewater, we have a perfect opportunity for anyone who has doubts or questions or they're searching for answers to life or to, for meaning or for faith. We call it Alpha. It meets on Monday evenings. It resumes here at Whitewater in September. Going to the Alpha course is kind of like going where the ladder is. You can move up in your faith. As you're learning the fundamentals of faith, you can say anything about anything and still be loved and accepted. Uh, you'll be exposed to leaders who are at the top of their game spiritually. They model authenticity and vulnerability. The Alpha leaders don't just hold you accountable, they hold you close. Uh, often people that you meet during the Alpha experience, they become that Fab Five that you spend a lot of time with after the course is over. I'm going to introduce you to a friend of mine that went through Alpha with me. Uh, like hundreds of people in our church family, uh, Don was deeply connected in the Catholic faith. Uh, although his uh, experience in the Catholic faith didn't work out for him, you'll see how doubt can infiltrate any religion. Listen to Don's story. Doubt really began for me when I was in early high school. I had thought about becoming a priest, and I got into a program after eighth grade that ultimately led to uh, entering the seminary full-time when I was would be in my junior year in high school. During my freshman and sophomore years, we were assigned a mentor, and uh, we met with them on a regular basis. Uh, the first mentor that I had was really good. The priest that took his place was not so good. During this time, we, we studied a lot of things and learned a lot of uh, doctrine and so on in the Catholic Church, especially about the, the clergy. And 
as I got to know this person and others of us got to know this person, the, the Catholic, one of the Catholic doctrines was that uh, when a priest is ordained, a mistake cannot be made. And it became very obvious to a lot of us that ordaining this person a priest was a mistake. And so this is when serious doubts came into play. I remained doubtful, especially on the, uh, the Catholic religion, just because of, of the history. And um, for a long time, it just kind of just stayed in the back of my mind. Uh, my wife and I raised our children Catholic. We, you know, attended services all the time and, and uh, we got them a good education, but the doubt remained there. And so I was not, I guess you would say I wasn't a good Catholic. Then we discovered Whitewater. There was some stuff in the bulletin at one of the Sunday services. And uh, I think there was a little discussion uh, either before or after the, the service. And we went and checked out a booth that was set up here in the, in the uh, uh, gathering area. And um, it looked very interesting. And so we signed up for it and participated in the Alpha program. Alpha was eye-opening. The nagging doubt is, is always still there, but um, Alpha, I guess the best way to describe it is that Alpha made me realize that it isn't uh, a particular religion's doctrines that are the key. It is the relationship with Jesus and God that really is what is the important part. Give it a try. You'll be amazed and it will change your life. Friends, you don't have to move somewhere to go somewhere. Everything you need is right around you. Uh, visit our website, the church's website, and you'll find information about Alpha. You can sign up there. Uh, I would warn you, it always fills up fast. We end up with a waiting list every time. We're limited by the amount of leaders that we have, so check that out. If not Alpha, then move toward a deeper connection on your own. Build your own Fab Five. I think that's why God had been at Starbucks. You could actually have some conversations with folks. One last story about a, a man I met uh, dealing with end-of-life issues. It taught me something significant about life. Met this 98-year-old World War II pilot. I said, 98? Wow. He said, yeah, I, I can confirm dinosaur tastes a lot like chicken. Uh, <laughs> this guy was a World War II vet. He flew B-17 bombers. He was a, a commander of that uh, flying fortress. Uh, he pulled out his log, showed me his 35 flights, uh, often nine-hour flights over those treacherous high-altitude uh, uh, times over uh, Nazi Germany. His story took an unexpected turn when he returned home. He met a Tuskegee Airman who flew P-51 Mustang fighter planes. They never met in the Army. It was rigidly segregated. Only in the air were black and white pilots allowed to mix. As their friendship unfolded, uh, he discovered this P-51 fighter pilot flew cover for almost all of his B-17 bomber flights. And he said of that fighter pilot, he had my six. In the military, got your six means I've got your back. 
That refers to the rear of an airplane, the six o'clock position. What lies behind you, that's where you're the most vulnerable. So when someone says they've got your six, it means they're protecting your back at your weakest, most vulnerable spot. So I ask you, who's got your six? Who helps you with your doubts? Who are you in proximity to? Who are your fab five? Hebrews 10, 24, 25 says this, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. When your doubts overwhelm you, shuffle your feet toward the right people. Surround yourself with wise voices who can speak into your life. All of heaven's kind of leaning over, just hoping that you'll take the first step forward. No one can do it for you. Become a real-life action figure. Just put it into action. Say to someone, hey, look, I'm, I'm confused. I, I have some doubts that are emerging. Can we spend a little time together? If you get a no, it's just a bandwidth problem. Don't be discouraged. Uh, stay persistent. Uh, it won't happen suddenly. It takes a while to grow these relationships. Look at your feet. Just indulge me for a second. Glance down at your feet. See them? Put them to work. Shuffle your feet toward meaningful relationships. That's tactically relevant to success in dealing with doubts. In fact, it's the number one predictor of a stable faith when doubts inevitably come. Would you bow with me now for just a moment of prayer? Just a second. Uh, Laura and the band are going to close us with a song by the band Oliver Riot. It paints a beautiful picture with these words of a young guy that's struggling. He feels like he's in, in a prison. He's asking someone to get real, to take off their mask, to really get connected with him. So as they sing, just allow the Holy Spirit just to kind of nestle some of these thoughts and principles down deep into your mind and heart. Shoot up some prayers to God. Ask Him to give you a hand in cultivating some of these right relationships with the right people. After the band, David will come up and close our service, and there will be prayer teams available at the front, as always. So feel free to come and connect and get prayer for anything going on in your life. Father, thank you for creating us to be dependent upon one another. Help us, Lord, to cultivate meaningful relationships that can navigate us through times of doubt. Thank you, Father. I think Jody's message is so relative for so many reasons, and uh, it's wonderful when you have elders that can teach and pastor in that way. I'm a little disturbed about the lock-picking thing, to be honest with you, when an elder says that. But uh, anyway, I'll get over that. But I am so glad you're here tonight, and I uh, am so excited that you're helping us fulfill a mission. I was just sitting there, not only listening, taking notes to Jody's message, but listening to the life-change stories that we shared with Keith and Kevin and all those folks. It's amazing what happens when the focus is on Jesus, and you just say, man, come in faith to him. And that's what our church is all about. Hey, again, thanks for joining us online today. You'll see links in the notes or the comments section to be able to let us know who you are if you're newer around here and to give generously online if you call Whitewater home. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.